The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Sometimes the, the question is asked, if you could go back in time to meet any one person in history, who would that be and why? And there's all sorts of answers to that question that people give, ranging from the sentimental to the silly. Uh, there are heartfelt answers to that question, uh, like the desire to meet a grandparent or a father or a long-lost relative that a person never had the opportunity to meet. There's other answers to that question that simply scratch the itch of curiosity. Uh, maybe there's a mystery that you think you might be able to solve if you were able to go back in time and have a conversation. Maybe you might be uh, personally inspired by meeting a political figure or a military figure or a leader for social change, heroes of the past. What would it be like to say that I was in the fellowship of some of the most influential people in all of history? Maybe you could meet someone so inspiring that it would literally change your life. But there's one name that consistently makes its way on that list who not only can change your life, but he can change your eternity, and it's Jesus Christ. And thankfully, we don't have to go back in time for our lives and our eternities to, to be transformed by Jesus Christ. Because all we need to know in order to be completely transformed by Jesus, has been carefully recorded for us in the scriptures. The apostle John speaks about the writing of his gospel, and he says this in chapter 20 and verse 31. He says, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Believing what we learn about Jesus Christ from the scriptures is enough to give us life in his name. And the life that John is referring to here in John 20 is a, a heavenly, spiritual, and eternal life. He's speaking to, to people who already have a temporary, physical, and earthly life. And he's saying that you can have a heavenly, spiritual, and eternal life if you believe what I've written about Jesus. But there's more than that. You can actually enter into fellowship with him today. You can enter into fellowship with Jesus, the same Jesus that was born over 2,000 years ago, you can enter into fellowship with him today. Chew on that one. The same one, not, not a different one, the same Jesus. You can enter into fellowship with him today. How many of us would be able to meet with and fellowship with the person who most inspired us in all of history? How many of us would have that opportunity? But we have that opportunity to have fellowship with the same one, the same Jesus that we read about in the scriptures, the one who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. The same Jesus who was born in a stable, laid in a manger, the one who healed the sick, raised the dead, multiplied the loaves, walked on water, died on a cross, and was raised three days later. You can enter into fellowship with that same Jesus today. And as believers, we don't just interact with uh, the teachings of Jesus and the example of Jesus and the ideas of Jesus. We actually enter into fellowship 
with Jesus. We interact with Jesus himself. It's one thing to read the book. It's another thing to know the author, right? And we're those who know the author. I know the one who we sing about, the one that we celebrate. We've entered into fellowship with that one. The very same one who was born into the world has granted us salvation, and we've entered into fellowship with him. And that's the truth that the Apostle John introduces us to in the first epistle of John. So if you would, take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. You'll find it toward the back of your Bible if you're new. And uh, you can find Bibles in your pews. If uh, uh, you want to grab a, a Bible, a copy of the Bible with me, you can turn to 1 John chapter 1. And as the apostle opens up this first epistle, he's very concerned that we understand that this is the very same Jesus that he's inviting us to have fellowship with. The very same word who has made flesh dwelt among us is the very same Jesus that we can enter into fellowship with today. And that's the incredible teaching of the scriptures. You can enter into fellowship with the word of God incarnate, who is the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. And John is so concerned that he doesn't even stop to give us an introduction. You know, most Letters will open up with some form of introduction. This is who I am. This is who I'm writing to. John just skips all of that and gets right into it right away. Let's take a look at John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. He says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Why don't you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and Father, we are so grateful for this, your word, your word that gives us the the truth about Jesus, the word that proclaims to us who he is, that invites us to come and to have fellowship with him. And Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you would speak to us through your truth. And Father, you are the the God of truth. And Father, we're grateful that you've given to us your truth and pray that you would help us to to understand these things, Lord, and that we would submit our minds to them as well. And Father, I pray that you, Lord, would be glorified and honored and that you would use me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The central idea of this passage is found right there in verse 3. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. Uh, the, The word of life made flesh is what we proclaim. And why does John proclaim this truth? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And those are the two points. I'll give them to you right up front. I'm not sure if I'll mention them again Uh, but that you can have fellowship with one another, fellowship with us, and fellowship with God. Fellowship with us and fellowship with God, those are the two points. The word of life is proclaimed that we may have fellowship with the apostles and fellowship with God himself. In other words, if you want fellowship with us, you want fellowship with the Father, it's through his son, Jesus Christ, that's the only way to enter into that fellowship. You need to believe the truth that's been proclaimed about the word become flesh and the truth of the incarnation that we celebrate during the season is so significant that we can't have fellowship with God without it. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. 
It refers to a sharing in, a participation with. In some cases, it refers to a sharing of material possessions, like the sharing of financial resources. We find that over in Romans chapter 15, verse 26, uh, where Paul talks about those in Macedonia and Achaia who've been pleased to make a contribution. They've, they've shared for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They've made this contribution a sharing with. But in other cases, it speaks about the sharing of a common life, being bound together in spiritual union. And it's used that way in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, where it says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And according to 1 John, if you don't have fellowship, that kind of fellowship, the fellowship that's being described here, the fellowship with God, you're still in the darkness, you have no life, you're still in your sins. Verse 6 of the same chapter, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. To have fellowship with God is to have light, life, truth, fellowship with one another, cleansing from all sin. That's what it means to be saved. And apart from this kind of fellowship, we cannot be saved. In the very opening of this epistle, the Apostle John is, is guarding this truth of the incarnation because that's the way to fellowship. It's the way that we gain fellowship with God is by believing the truth about Jesus Christ. And this is not the only place that he does it, to say that you have to believe in the truth about Christ in order to have fellowship with God. You know, anybody who claims that they have fellowship with God and don't believe in this truth, they're liars. First John chapter four, if you look at chapter four and verse two, it says, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's speaking about his incarnation. He has come in the flesh. Look at verse three. It says in every spirit, chapter four, verse three, every spirit that does not confess Jesus, and in the context it's confessing Jesus as the one who's come in the flesh, every spirit that does not confess Jesus has come in the flesh is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. Look over at chapter five, chapter five and verse 20. It says, and we know that the son of God has come. Has come where? Has come how? Has come in the flesh. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And if you flip over to 2 John, don't ask me what chapter, 2 John, verse 7, 2 John, verse 7. It says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Demonic activity is not always manifested in some kind of overt and bizarre activity. You don't have to go out into the woods and stumble upon somebody making a blood sacrifice to say, oh, the demonic is going on here. That's not how you know where the demonic is happening. The spirit of the Antichrist is manifested in all kinds of sophisticated and civil ways. Every denial of the true Jesus is the work of Satan. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul says, But I am afraid 
that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That's the work of Satan, to lead us away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And there are multifaceted ways that Satan leads us astray from the simplicity and devotion of Christ. And you can trace every false religion back to a deviation from the person of Christ or the work of Christ. It's really simple. (laughs) It's found in all false teaching. The deviation from the person of Christ or the work of Christ. For example, Jesus was just a man. That's what the Muslims would teach. Jesus was just an angel. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses would teach. Jesus was a man who became God. That's what the Mormons would teach. Jesus was just the body that the Father dwelt in. That's what oneness Pentecostalism teaches. Or the work of Jesus on the cross is not sufficient. That's what Roman Catholicism teaches. And we could keep going. False religion is traced back to a deviation from the person of Christ or the work of Christ. And the same thing was happening in the first century church. There was a a teaching that circulated uh, during this time and actually what the Apostle John was writing to. There was a teaching that circulated in Asia Minor that taught that Jesus did not actually become a man. It was a a form of teaching known as asceticism uh, from the Greek word dikeo, which means to seem or to appear. And it taught that Jesus only appeared to be human. He wasn't really human. He just appeared to be human. And it seemed to be so sophisticated, sophisticated teaching, so spiritual, because these false teachers actually believed that they were protecting the purity of Christ by saying that he did not become a man. Because the world that we live in is so evil, it's so corrupt, it's so impure. I mean, how could the pure and holy, undefiled Jesus come into this world and dwell on the earth and take on human flesh? How could that happen? They taught that the physical world was so corrupted that the pure spiritual being could not be contaminated with the body of flesh. They believed themselves to be so enlightened because of their secret or hidden knowledge. These false teachers came to be known as Gnostics from the Greek word uh, gnosis, a word for wisdom. You know, today we talk about a, a diagnosis or a prognosis. Actually comes from that same Greek word, gnosis, wisdom. And here these teachers with their hidden wisdom and their secret knowledge, they have this argument that Jesus never actually came in a body of flesh. And how can you imagine, you know, that that this one would actually come into this world? If Jesus is so pure and so holy, how could he be contaminated with this physical world? And you can imagine how the apostle John responded to this, to say that Jesus never became flesh. The word of God did not become flesh. He was one of the 12. (laughs) He was part of the inner three. If any of the three had a a chance of being singled out as the closest to Jesus, it would have been the Apostle John. He alone is said to have leaned on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper, John 13, verse 25. Can you imagine being close enough to hear the heartbeat of the Son of God? John leaned on him. He lived with him. He knew him. He wasn't just some phantom. It wasn't just some ghost. Look at what he says in chapter 1 and verse 1 back in in John. It says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And John is very specific on purpose. He doesn't say that we've seen him, but we've seen him with our eyes. 
We haven't just touched them. We've touched them with our hands. This is personal, physical, intimate, first-hand knowledge of the Son of God. We gazed upon him. We looked intently upon him. There was no mistake about it. He was 100% man. And those who have fellowship with God believe in a Jesus who was fully and truly man. You know, today we have a problem with Jesus being divine. They actually had a problem with Jesus being human. You know, like they didn't really question the, the divine part. I mean, it's like, you know, what other way do you explain all these miracles that he was doing? You know, the knowledge, the wisdom that he had. How do you explain that? So they came up with this idea that he couldn't be human. He was more than human. You know, we're on the other end where we say, how could he be divine? You know, that's the problem that we have. But it, it all comes from the same junk. <laughs> it's all a twisting, a misconstruing of who Jesus is. That's where people deviate. That's where the false teaching happens. When you turn away from the simplicity and devotion to the purity of Christ. That's where it happens. And John says, don't turn away from the true Jesus. I, I know him. I know the true Jesus. And it wasn't an impression on our hearts. It wasn't some internal perception. We literally heard him speak from his mouth to our ears. He audibly spoke to us. We've seen him with our eyes. It was a, a physical perception. It wasn't a vision. It wasn't with eyes of faith. I just, I just want to see him. Oh, if I could just see him. No, I literally saw him. <laughs> we, we saw him. He left an enduring impression upon us. The words for, for heard and seen, that we've heard him, that we've seen him, are both in the perfect tense. Might not mean a lot to you, but it speaks about a past tense that has enduring results. We, we've seen him in the past, and we haven't been able to get over it yet. We, we've seen him. We've been with him. And the Apostle John is here writing some 60 years after the fact, and he says, I still can't get over it, that I saw him, that I heard him, that I was with him. And then he adds this, that we, that we looked on him. In the middle of verse one, what we have looked at, that word for, for looked at is uh, the Greek word theomai. It means to gaze intently. It's where we get our English word theater from, a form of this word, uh, theomai. To gaze intently, to examine thoroughly, to behold with wonder. We, we, we gazed upon him. And then he says, we touched him with our hands. Our hands touched him. After Jesus' resurrection in Luke 24, 39, he says, see my hands and my feet that it is I. It's I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He offered his body as proof of his physical resurrection. But a physical resurrection only makes sense if there was a physical incarnation. He came in a body and he was resurrected in that body. He's saying I'm the same person. I was physical before and I'm physical now. Which leads to another observation before we leave this point. If Jesus did not come in a physical body, guess what else he wouldn't have been able to do? He wouldn't have been able to die. Jesus came in a body so that he could be crucified. And a physical death was necessary for our salvation. Hebrews 9.22 says, According to the law, one may almost say that all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, he had to have a body to die, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. If Jesus just 
appeared to be human, but he wasn't really human, then we would have just appeared to have been saved, but we weren't really saved. He had to come in a real body in order to grant the purification of sins. If there was no incarnation, there's no crucifixion, and there's no purification. It's all tied together. And Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that he made purification. And after he made purification, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And those who have fellowship with God believe in a Jesus who was 100% human. But they also believe in a Jesus who was 100% God. 100% God. And listen to how John opens up this verse. What was from the beginning? And John uses the word what instead of the word who because he's talking about the life, the eternal life that Jesus had. That life was from the beginning. And that life was manifested. We have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So when we're talking about what was from the beginning, we're talking about that eternal life that belonged to Jesus. So before there was a beginning, there was the word, which is enough to make your brain hurt. (laughs) Because when you say before the beginning, before the beginning of what? Before the beginning of anything. Like we're talking about eternity here. There was never a point when the word was not. You just keep going back a million, billion, trillion years and the word is still there. And you keep going back further than that and the word is still there. I mean, we're talking about infinite, infinite past. Before there was a past, before time existed, I mean, there's just God. I mean, how how do you wrap your mind around that? Never had a beginning. And if that doesn't make your brain hurt enough, let's flip over to John, the gospel of John chapter 1. This is just incredible to think about. John 1 and verse 1. We all know it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. Think about this. Everything that is not eternal has come into being. There was a starting point. Everything that is not eternal has come into being. The heavens and earth have a starting point. They came into being. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They, they had a beginning. They had a start. The heavens and the earth are not eternal. They came into being. The sun and moon and the stars are not eternal. They came into being. Throughout the first chapter of, of Genesis, God repeats these words, let there be, let there be, let there be. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let, let the earth bring forth living creatures. Everything that is not eternal has come into being. It has a starting point, and it's also breaking down. I, I recently saw in the news that there's a, a hole in the sun. Some of you might have read this. 60 times the size of the earth, a hole as large as 60 times the size of the earth. And they've got images of this hole in the sun Everything has a starting point, and everything is breaking down, including the sun, including the solar system that we exist in. Everything is breaking down. It had a starting point, and it's winding down. Now, you don't have to worry about the sun just going out of existence because God's going to wrap all time up, <laughs> you know, so we don't have to worry about the sun's going to do it. The S-O-N is going to do it, you know, not the S-U-N. But everything has a beginning, has a starting point. 
God does not come into being. He simply was. Theologians call it the eternal being. He eternally was. He's not becoming. He's not coming into being. He's not becoming something else other than what he was. He eternally was and is. So in the beginning, God was. Just was. From all of eternity, God was. And it also says that the word was. The word also does not come into being. The word existed eternally. He eternally was. And anything that has come into being came into being through him. Which means that the word has to be God. It's eternal. The word is eternal. That life is eternal. He was with God and he is God. And when John says that he was with God, here in John chapter 1 as well as in 1 John, he's speaking about the eternal relationship of the Father and the Son. The eternal relationships within the, the Trinity itself. The, the Greek preposition to be with in the beginning was the word and the word was with. It's the Greek preposition pros, which speaks of not just merely a personal presence, but active communion. And the root idea of, of that word pros is face-to-face, -face, facing one another. That, that the word and the father were in relationship in face-to-face -face communion with one another. Within God himself, there was relationship. The Father who is God and the Son who is God in perfect union, communion with one another. And at this point, we could also mention the Holy Spirit, who's said to be the eternal spirit back in Hebrews 9, 14. So eternally, in this face-to-face -face relationship, you have the Father, the Son, the Spirit eternally with one another, which is why Jesus can say in John 17, 24, you loved me before the foundation of the world that we, we've always had a relationship with one another, that we existed in that face-to-face -face relationship with one another, speaking about this eternal union that he had with the Father. Christians can say that God is love. Why? Because there was always eternal love within the Trinity. It's not love came about. It's always existed within the Trinity. So we can say that God is love. God didn't create the world because he needed somebody to love. You know, can you find me somebody to love? No, it's like God always had love within himself. He existed in that state. And this is how the eternal God is introduced to us in John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with. In union, in relationship, and the word was God. And everything else that came into being came into being through him because he is eternal. And why do we call him the word of life? Because in verse 4 it says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. All life comes from him. He is the word that brings life. All things came into being through him. And then John says, that one, that one who's eternal, the one who created the world, the one in whom was life, we saw him. <laughs> Incredible. That one, that same one, we saw him. We were with him. We heard him. We touched him. The eternal word. We, were, we, we dined with him. We had communion with him. We fellowshiped with him. The author of all life. The creator entered into the creation. The one who has no beginning entered into time and space. The invisible became visible. The word of life became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld him. And that life was manifested. What does that mean? The, the word was made clear to us. God, God, God came and he made himself visible and he made himself clear to us. John 1.18 puts it like this. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. 
It's uh, from the Greek word uh, exegetomai. Uh, we get our English word exegete from that. It's a word that's used for somebody who explains or interprets. And Jesus is the one who explains and interprets God to us. He makes God visible to us. He shows us the Father. Jesus was always talking about the Father until one point one of his disciples, Philip, said to him, Lord, show us the Father. You're always talking about the Father, you know, the Father in heaven and Father this and Father that. Can you show us the Father? And then Jesus turns to Philip and says, have I been so long with you? <laughs> and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. What do you think I've been explaining all this time? <laughs> right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I- I'm the one who explains the Father to you. I'm the one who makes God visible to you. The, the eternal has come into creation. And John says, I've seen him. I've heard him. I've touched him. He changed my life forever, and he can do the same for you, which is why I'm proclaiming this truth to you back in 1 John, 1 John 1. He says, and the life was manifested. We have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and, ha- and was manifested to us. And when he says manifested to us, that us is speaking about John and his fellow apostles. It's been manifested to us. Because we're the ones who saw him. You didn't see him. We saw him. He's been manifested to us. They had the high and holy privilege of being there to hear the teaching, witness the miracles. They saw and heard. They beheld. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw him. We were there. And he's writing to a group of people who haven't seen him. But we saw him. In Peter's first letter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he writes to, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He writes to them hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem and Galilee. And when he writes them, he says, you have not seen him. That's what he says, 1 John 1 and verse 8. I wish we could get, you know, Peter on TBN and just say, you haven't seen him, you know. <laughs> just be quiet, you haven't seen him. Yeah, he'd be besides himself watching some of the televangelists today, right? Getting on YouTube and, you know, picking up a book, I've seen Jesus. It's like, what are you talking about? You got pictures of him. That's not what he looked like, right? Everybody's saying they've seen Jesus. And Peter says, you have not seen him. You haven't seen him. Stop saying you've seen him. And stop making money off your books by giving pictures of him. You haven't seen him. But Peter says, I've seen him. We don't follow cleverly devised fables. We, we were there. You haven't seen Jesus. That was our privilege as apostles during that time. But just because you haven't seen Jesus doesn't mean that you can't enter into a loving relationship with Jesus because you can still have fellowship with that one. 1 Peter 1 verse 8 says that even though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now but believe in him, You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You can love him. You can greatly rejoice in him. Even though you've never seen him, you can enter into fellowship with him. And that's the same thing that John is telling us, that you can have fellowship with him too. You can have fellowship with him. And here's the main point of the entire section. Like I said, I didn't really kind of follow a normal outline. I just kind of gave you the points. What John is saying is that you can have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father and the Son. That's his main point. That's all he's trying to communicate. I'm proclaiming these things to you. 
so that you can have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father and the Son. That, that's the point. And he went through this kind of long, circuitous route to say, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've held him, blah, blah, blah. And it's just going on and on about all the ways that he knows that who Christ really is. But he says, but even though you haven't been there, you can have the fellowship with us. And you can have the fellowship with the Father and the, the Son. That's the main point. We've seen him, we've heard him. And we proclaim him to you so that you too can have fellowship with us. And what John is saying, you, you know the fellowship that I have with the other disciples? You know that common experience that I have with Peter and Andrew and my brother James and Matthew and Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew and James and Thaddeus and Simon and don't forget Matthias, you know, the, the lately, you know, come lately disciple, you know, uh, had to find somebody to replace Judas so Matthias works. He says that same fellowship that we have, you know, those who have seen him, those who are witnesses of him, you can enter into that fellowship. You can be part of our fellowship. Yeah, we know that we're the ones who've seen him, but you can enter into that fellowship with us. You don't need to travel back in time in order to meet Jesus to change your life. You haven't missed out because you were born at the wrong place at the wrong time. You haven't missed out because you were not an eyewitness of his majesty. You can't jump into a time capsule and return to Bethlehem to see where he was born. You can't sit by the Sea of Galilee to hear him preach the Sermon on the Mount. You can't witness the miracles in Capernaum, the crucifixion outside the gates of Jerusalem. You can't go to Galilee to see the ascension. You weren't there. But if you believe in the word that I'm telling you, if you believe in the proclamation that I'm giving you, you too can participate in this fellowship. You can participate in this life. You can be, be, be united to the life that we have in Jesus Christ. That's the point. You too can be part of our fellowship. And if you have fellowship with the apostles, guess who else you have fellowship with? You have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Flip back to, to John 17. John 17. This is, this is rich. We quoted from this uh, chapter earlier where Jesus spoke about the love that the Father had for him before the world was. In John 17 and verse 24, he says, you love me before the foundation of the world. Talks about that face-to-face -face fellowship that he had with the Father. But listen to what he says starting in verse 20. John 17, starting in verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And what is John doing? He's giving you the word. He's proclaiming Jesus. So if you're believing in the word of John, then Jesus is praying for you. <laughs> I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe on me through their word, that they may all be one, united, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that we may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them. I have explained you to them, and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. 
What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the kind of fellowship that he has with the Father, that face-to-face fellowship, the love that he's experienced from the Father, the love before the world was, he's saying that I'm praying for these who would believe on me through their words that they would enter into that fellowship, that they would be united, that, that they would experience the love that you've given to me, that, that they would have that love, that, I, I, that, that the love that you've loved me, I want them to experience that love, that the kind of fellowship that we enjoy, I want them to experience that fellowship. And it's because we're in Jesus Christ that we can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son because we're united to him. He says, I want you to be a part of this fellowship. Not that we become God. I mean, that's the furthest thing from Jesus' mind. But he's saying that you can have fellowship with God because you're in me, that you can experience that fellowship in the same love that he's loved me with, he can love you with. Do you know what the greatest gift would be this Christmas? It would be that you would have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. You're not, you're not born into fellowship with God. You're not born that way. In his book, Communion with God, John Owens writes this. He says, because of sin, no man in his natural state has fellowship with God. God is light and we are darkness. What communion has light with darkness? God is life, we are dead. God is love, we are enmity. So what agreement can there be between God and man? We're not born into fellowship with God. And if we're to have union with Christ, it must be by turning from our sins and believing in the proclamation about who Jesus is, believing in the true Jesus, the biblical Jesus. And this is why John is is so concerned that we understand who Jesus is. Because without that, Jesus, you have no fellowship with God. So he's proclaiming him. He's guarding the truth about Jesus so that you too can have fellowship with God and with Christ. This is why John is proclaiming the message of eternal life. And do you know what the greatest gift would be for us this Christmas? Is that you would have fellowship with God. And that's exactly what John goes on to say, doesn't he? In 1 John 1 and verse 4, he says, These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. (laughs) He says, you know what would bring me the greatest joy? Is that you would be introduced and accept this kind of fellowship. That you would be ushered into this fellowship. That would make my joy complete. This This is why we're proclaiming this message. So that you too can have fellowship with the Son. Fellowship with us and fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And if you're here and you're a believer, do you understand that the great privilege that we have is fellowship with God? John Owen goes on to say this. He says, concerning the saints, Christ says, here I will dwell and here I will make my home forever. Christ says this because he has chose his saints as his temple. He will dwell in them because he delights in them. He takes them into an intimate fellowship with himself. As he is God, so his saints are his temple. As he is king, his saints are his subject. As he is the head, the saints are his body, his church. He is the firstborn and he calls the saints his brothers. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. He invites us into this fellowship. And one more word of application before we close. If you understand what it means to have fellowship with God, my question is, has it changed your life? Has it changed you that you have fellowship with God? Owen goes on to say this. He says, having a loving fellowship with the Father is very much neglected by Christians. 
Ignorance of our mercies and our privileges is our sin as well as the cause of our trouble. We do not listen to the voice of the Spirit that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. This makes Christians sad when they should be rejoicing. It makes them weak when they could be strong. How few Christians are actually acquainted with this great privilege of having a loving fellowship with the Father. How ignorant are so many Christians of the mystery of this communion of love with the Father. How many hold communion with the lust of this world rather than with the Father and with the Son. We don't have to go back in time to meet the most influential person of all history. We can have fellowship with him now. (laughs) We can have fellowship with him now. And we're not behind the most prominent apostles in that sense. Because we've entered into the same fellowship that they had. We've entered into that fellowship. And the same Jesus that John heard and his ears heard, his eyes saw, his hands touched, is the same Jesus that we can have fellowship with today. That is incredible to think about. That the one who was born in a stable, laid in the manger, that I have fellowship with him today. I have fellowship with him. That I commune with him. That I speak to him. That he prays for me. That he's watching over me. That we have a relationship. That he's coming back to get me. And it's going to be that same Jesus. I said that was the last one, but one more. (laughs) One more. That same Jesus who came is coming again to receive us unto himself. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. He's coming back. And 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him Because we will see him just as he is. That same vision that the Apostle John had, not only in the incarnation, but in that vision that he received in the book of Revelation, the Bible says you'll see him. (laughs) What, what, What the Apostle John saw, you'll be able to see. And that's what we look forward to and long for as believers. Oh, that we would see him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fellowship that we have even today, right now, we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And Father, the same Jesus, the same one who came, the same one that that the apostle John saw and he heard and he held, that we have fellowship with that same one. And he's coming back to receive us unto himself and we'll see that same one, not a different one, the same one. Father, what a joy that is to know that that we enjoy that fellowship with Christ today, that we don't just look back in history as if it's just something that's far off in the distance, that, that we can look at that right now, that that Jesus is the one that I know. I know him, that he knows me, that I belong to him, and that I won't be lost because he watches over me even today. Father, we're grateful for the fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would be honored and glorified in this season. And Father, we do pray for those here who do not have fellowship with Christ, that today would be the day uh, that they would turn to Christ and find in him life. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, 
please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.